Welcome back to Lost in Citations. Today's guest is Dr. Sachiko Nakamura, Assistant Professor at Tamagawa University. Dr. Nakamura, thank you for coming on Lost in Citations. Thank you very much for inviting me. Now, you said before we started recording that you're very nervous and you might be using my <laughs> nervousness metric. I know. A good chance know. for me to promote my own research. Did yeah. you did you use my nervousness metric before we started recording? No, but I did listen to your talk, which that that's how I got interested in your matrix, um, nervousness metric. So on a scale of one to 10, how nervous <laughs> are you right now? Thank you. That's what I was hoping for you to say. <laughs> I would say eight or close to nine, I would even say. Okay. Well, I'll check back in five minutes and see <laughs> if that goes on. There's there's really no reason to be nervous. Uh, what's right. what's, what's the main reason that you're, you're feeling nervous to do the podcast? Hmm, great question. I think I'm just worried if I could say something interesting or, you know, something, yeah, interesting, meaningful or useful. So we were talking before we recorded, and I said it's really important that we have voices that represent a lot of different communities, um, right. and especially um, second language speakers. Mm. Um, now, fairness, I don't think I could do an interview in Japanese. So <laughs> if it was reversed, I would just be nervous that I couldn't make sentences. So oh. I don't think I don't think you need to be worried about saying something interesting. I think... The fact that you're on the show is a good example and a good model to other guests. And I mentioned that to you before, and mm. I really appreciate you doing the interview, even though you weren't, you know, really, I think you were excited about the interview, but you, <laughs> you weren't really, <laughs> I, it took some convincing. So <laughs> I'm glad you're doing the show. And, and, and again, I hope this will encourage other people to do the show that, that might uh, be more hesitant hesitant about it. I, I think we're all a bit more critical of ourselves uh, about being interesting and the like. But the fact is, you are interesting, and uh, oh. <laughs> you do have an interesting story. So I don't think you need to be worried about that. On a scale of one to ten, how nervous are you right now? Oh God, you are amazing, Jonathan. I would say seven. <laughs> Oh, great. All right. So if you're interested in my research, people should go back and listen to Citation 3. Yeah, which I really enjoyed listening to. Um, just for, for people listening, so the broad strokes of my research is I have a hypothesis that if you quantitate your own nervousness or quantify your own nervousness, then then you're looking at your nervousness from an outside perspective and you're taking something that's internal, internal emotion, and you're quantifying it. And if you can do that, and you're looking at it on a scale, on a Likert scale, for example, then the fact that you can do that, then that means then you're actually looking at your nervousness externally. Mm -hmm. So that's my hypothesis. Uh, maybe down the road, I'll be able to try to prove that. My own, my own uh, research history has some twists and turns. I'm, I'm sort of shifting gears away from that at the moment, but I will come back to that eventually. But anyway, this mm -hmm. interview is not about me. This interview is about you. And the, <laughs> the article that we are going to be discussing today was published in Language Teaching Research in 2021, and the article is entitled, A Practitioner Study on the Implementation of Strategy Instruction for Boredom Regulation, which is really cool. Um, all right, so Thank before you. we get into the article... 
we like to hear about yep. uh, the guests' background. So I'd say let's start in high school.、Um, high school, sure. Now, were you a strong language student in high school? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you so much for asking that. Actually, I would say no. But the thing is,、um, have you heard of this term, primal inclination? Primal inclination. Yeah, that's、uh, the term that Gree used in his TED Talk. I'm, by the way, I'm a big fan of TED Talks. Oh, check it out. Yeah, and when I listened to his talk, that's when I realized, yeah, that's what I have or have had. When、um, did you listen to the TED Talk?、Uh, that's when I started my MA. But、oh, okay. in, in hindsight, yeah.、Oh, I see. Yeah, so I was always attracted to or by English. I didn't really have any good reasons for that, but I really liked the sound of it. And I thought it was really cool to be able to speak English, but I really didn't know why. So I was always interested in it. And then I always wanted to, to speak good English, <laughs> so called. But unfortunately, I didn't have any. Opportunities to be exposed to English that much. I, I was born in a village. And、um, so I was okay with grammar and, and so on, but my speaking, pronunciation, listening, any communicative aspects of English、uh, sucked. It was really <laughs> bad. Yeah. <laughs> so you say a village. Where, where exactly did you grow up? Yeah, the, the, the village is called Oma. And which is famous for bamboo shoots in、oh. Kitakyushu. In Kitakyushu, okay. Yes, yeah, beautiful village. There's really nothing. The closest convenience store is two kilometers away,、wow. and there are no bus stations or nothing at all. Wow. So、mm. in, in high school, you were interested in language, but you, you're saying you weren't very good at language. Is that the Japanese modesty, or in fact, you really weren't good at it?、Uh, ask my English teacher. He will say, Yep, <laughs> it's, not, it's not me being modest. No, not at all. And、yeah. you started thinking about where you wanted to go to university. What, what kind of factors influenced that decision? Yeah,、um, so my interest was in English, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with English. English, you, you could be an English teacher, you could work、uh, somewhere abroad, or I was also interested in working at a hotel. Mm. Uh, in the hotel industry.、Mm-hmm. And, and I almost thought about、uh, going to Semmon Gakko. How do you say Semmon Gakko in English?、Um, so I think it's、specialized? like a community college or a junior college or, right, right.、Uh, or a specialty college, something like that. That's right. And then I told this idea to my mother. And then she said, Could you please? Go to a, a proper or regular university for your degree so that you will have a wider option when you graduate. And、mm-hmm. during this four year, you can think of what you want to do with English, but don't specify your goals. Oh, your mom.、Stage. Nice advice.、Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'll tell her that. She'll be happy. <laughs> then I was like, hmm, okay, then I'll just choose、um, English department and we'll see. What, what I would be interested in from there. That's how I decided to、um, 
go to Fukuoka University majoring in English. I see. I'm hearing a little bit of ringing in the background. Do you hear that? Ringing? Okay. So, for the listeners, there might be a little bit of a ringing sound. It might be the wind. It might be the wind rustling on my windows or Dr. Nakamura's window. We don't know. So, please, please bear with us. Okay. Thank so, you, you. you chose、uh, Fukuoka University and you majored in English? Yeah. And so, talk us through that process.、Uh, you know, your mother's advice, you know, do the four years, start thinking about it. Did you、yeah. start having some feelings of what you wanted to do by year three or four? Yeah, you guessed it right. Yeah. So, my first, second year, I wasn't still sure. But then in my third year, I had this clear idea. And I thought, okay, this is what I want to do. So I always I noticed that I always enjoyed helping my friends, classmates to prepare for tests and so on, because、mm -hmm. I always had a good guess of what's going to appear on the tests.、Okay. And I'm very much a grandmothery kind of、uh, just liking to help someone, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, Also, I liked English very much. Then、mm -hmm. I thought, oh, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to become an Eikaiwa teacher、mm. um, to help those who are wanting to improve their English skills but struggling, just、mm. like I, I did or I was that time.、Mm -hmm. And that's why I decided to become an Eikaiwa teacher, not a high school or university, but Eikaiwa, because I wanted to help those. Who are interested in improving their English skills. Now, you mentioned in the paper you started、right. working at in A Kaiwa in 2008. Yeah. Is that correct? So,、yes. some of the student emotions that you noticed were enjoyment, excitement, pride,、mm. and anxiety.、Um, right. And that struck me because if you listen, listeners listen back to my episode, Citation 3. That was also the impetus of my research track was anxiety. That was,、mm. that was the main inhibitor I, I felt of people reaching their learning goals. So you, you, you saw that same emotion. But let, let's back up. So I think you said in the pre show、yeah. meeting that after you graduated,、um, you didn't start at the AKIWA right away. You, you went、mm. to America? Yeah. So that goes back to me saying my English skills were not as good、mm -hmm. as. Not good enough to become a to be a good English teacher at Eikaiwa. Okay. You need to have、uh, good communicative skills, especially speaking and listening, right? And that time I thought, no, I cannot be、uh, even hired at any Eikaiwa if my pronunciation is like this or if I cannot even say anything. My English was that bad. And I decided to study myself by buying all sorts of books.、Uh, those, you know, you can master English in 10 days or listen to this, then your pronunciation will improve、mm -hmm. drastically and so on. I tried all sorts of textbooks,、mm -hmm. ended up being disappointed or frustrated. And、mm -hmm. then I also started to go to、uh, a small Eikaiwa school, which was really good. And,、um, but it, those, those, Efforts or, or time I spent wasn't enough for me to improve my English skills 
well mm-hmm. enough to to be a qualified Eikaiwa teacher. So I decided to to go to the States. And my plan was to go to a language school for six months to improve my English skills and to get a, a TOEIC score to go to a, a certificate program at a university of San Di- uh, University of California, San Diego. Okay, so, mm-hmm. all right, so then you went to San Diego? Yeah. And how, how was that? You stud- So you studied for six months? Is that what happened? Yes, and then that was a shocking experience to me. You know those uh, things that you often see in the textbook? Probably not, not these days, but um, the first thing you see is, hi, how are you? right? Mm-hmm. And that's the only greeting that I knew that time. But when I when I went to San Diego, people were saying, hey, what's up? I was mm-hmm. like, what is this? What's up? So yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, the, the amount of uh, natural English exposure I had and um, what how much I learned by just living there. And then so you you entered a program after the six months was over? Yeah, that's right. And how long did you stay in California? Uh, nine months in uh, after that. So almost two years, I think. Wow, okay. And then you came back to Japan, and mm-hmm. then you had the confidence to, to be an Eikaiwa teacher. For people that don't know Eikaiwa, it's... And, and, um, can I call you Sachiko or should I keep calling you Dr. Nakamura? Oh, please, please, please call me Sachiko. As, as Sachiko says in the paper, an Eikaiwa is a for-profit language school. Um, there a range of ages. You can get young kids that are looking to improve their English. You can have college students that are looking to, to improve their English. You know, um, you know, grandmothers that are looking to improve. Their, <laughs> it's a, 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 wide, a wide range That's of... Right. In my in my perspective, the the whole existence of Eikaiwas is because the, the the English language education in the Japanese school system has failed. That's, <laughs> I mean, if the Japanese school system was teaching English correctly or mm-hmm. properly, then there would be no need for Eikaiwas. That's right. I cannot agree more. So there is something there's something <laughs> wrong. Um, I think anyway. That's a that's a conversation for a different day. Anyway. <laughs> So I also uh, have experience working in an Eikaiwa. I actually started, maybe we started around the same time. I worked at an Eikaiwa from 2007 oh. to the middle of 2008. Oh, okay. In About, Nagasaki? No, I, that was, was in, um, that was in near Yokohama. Oh, okay. Okay. The yeah, first time I came to Japan, that. I was in Yokohama for a year and a half. I see. And um, that's when you were working for Eikaiwa. That's said. right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so I think we have a lot in common. So you, all right, so then you you, you applied for the job for the Eikaiwa in, was it in Kitakyushu? In, in Fukuoka. In Fukuoka, okay. Yeah. And so you then you reached your dream. You, you accomplished know, right? your goal. Yes. But, um, yes, I did, I did, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. The teaching part of it, and I think you know what I what I mean by that. Yeah, I, the, the the Japanese yeah. teachers, especially. So, and in Aikawa, for people that don't know, you know, you have Japanese teachers like uh, Sachiko, who's you know, 
who's an expert in English, and then you have Japanese managers who facilitate the business transactions, and then you have foreign teachers um, like me. And from my perspective is, yes, the Japanese staff, much more workload than the foreign teachers. So hmm. I don't know if that's what you're alluding to, that you enjoy the teaching aspect. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for, for getting my uh, underlying message. Uh, well, uh, I, I, you know, Eikaiwa, like you said, it's a, it's a, a business for profit. So as Japanese staff members, you are responsible for running the school, meaning making money. And that part, to be honest, I didn't enjoy it. But apart from that, I, I really enjoyed all aspects of it. And then the further I, the longer I continued, the, the clearer I, I thought, okay, yeah, this is, this is what I'm here for kind of my life mission <laughs> to be a teacher to be useful to to those those students they uh, you Jonathan you talked about the silent students who don't say anything at all in the mm -hmm. counseling in the in the in the room and I've had those students too but what made me really happy and um every time was to see those students smiling or feeling like, okay, I did it, you know, or, or they were nervous and they, they didn't think that they could do anything like this or that. But then in the end of the at the end of the class, they know that they did it, whatever that it was. And then they feel this kind of a pride or happiness or enjoyment in, on their face. And that's, so I'm not, I'm not sure if it's me enjoying being a teacher, but it's it's more like me creating some opportunities for for anyone, but happen to be English learners, to go through some challenges and and making good progress and succeeding and feeling great about themselves. That's what I. That's my mission, I feel. <laughs> well, and again, by you coming on this podcast, you might be able to motivate someone else to come on this podcast. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would. I, I hope that everyone will think, oh, or if I can do it, then anyone can do it, I would like to say. <laughs> so on a scale of one to 10, how nervous are you now? <laughs> well, good timing. I would say two, maybe. Oh, great. Mm, Wonderful. Wow. All yeah. right, so the, the Eikaiwa... A lot of people end up doing that for a career, but you decided, yeah. I, I don't want to do this for a career. So when did you start thinking, okay, maybe I want to get a master's degree or I, I want to do something else? You obviously yeah. made that shift at some point. Yeah. And it was a really interesting one. Very serendipitous, I would even say. So I was working at a Kaiwa um, perfectly fine and mm -hmm. I that time I didn't even know MA or a PhD none of those mm -hmm. degrees or anything like that at all mm -hmm. but one day I saw this ad uh, asking for a participant in a study but of course the ad didn't say a study or participant but they were looking for Japanese who can speak English to take some tests or something 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, why don't I try this? And then I did this uh, part-time job to to, but that, so that that's how I got to know um, research. So apparently, this professor who was working in Hukoka was conducting his study, and he was looking for participants and then I happened to be one of them and then he somehow thought my performance on the test um, was I wouldn't say impressive but um, he, he thought I could be his research assistant Wow! and then I started that's an to, interesting turn of events I know right and then yeah. I was like oh okay then so what I did was transcribing and sorting out the data and even coding. And oh. then it, we started to discuss how to uh, create certain codes and so on, which I enjoyed very much. And then one day he said, why don't you pursue MA? And I said, what is MA? But after, <laughs> uh, long story short, I thought, okay, that sounds really interesting. And then I definitely want to try try it. And that's how I... Um, entered my master's program with Anaheim and, University. And so again, another thing that we have in common, I also did my master's degree online, which oh. mm. which was amazing. I mean, it was very difficult at the time, but it's so cool because you're learning all these things and you can apply to the classroom. That's, oh, you just, yes, spoke my heart. Yeah, yeah, that was like that. It was so, so I, I can't imagine doing a master's degree and not teaching full time. I know. I mean, for me, it just made sense to do it while I was working full time, even though it was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so were you working full time at the Aikaiwa and you were still sort of a research assistant at the same time? What, 2014 to 2016? Yeah, actually, I... I... I was married at that time, so I wasn't working full-time, and I wasn't also working at Ekaiwa. I was more like a, uh, they called it corporate teacher, so they sent me to to different companies or university campuses to run short courses, either on TOEIC or business English conversation and so on. I see. But yeah, I was... Working as a teacher, English teacher. So when did you transition from full-time? So you were full-time and then you got married and then you became a research assistant? Yes. I was working full-time. I got married. Then I became part-time. And then probably two years later, I, I became this research assistant. Okay. And then you started your master's degree. That's right. Okay. And then you finished your master's around 2016, mm-hmm. 2015. And so yeah. um, so looking at this paper, again, the paper that we're discussing today is a practitioner study on the impl- implementation of strategy instruction for boredom regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, your co-authors, Pornapit Dara Sawang and Hayo Reindeers, and it says King Mongut's University of Technology, Thonburi, Thailand, Right. So I guess we need to dis- we need to figure out. So what happened? Um, did you? What made you end up going to Thailand? And I'm assuming that's where you did your PhD. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So 
doing MA was a life-changing experience. I never, I felt I have never done anything meaningful. And all I wanted to do when I graduated from MA program was to, to continue. And I wasn't particularly interested in getting PhD, but I was very much interested in continuing researching and developing my knowledge and skills in that mm. field. And um, and of course, I had different options. I could have stayed in Japan and uh, get a PhD somewhere or go abroad. Uh, some of the things that I that were really important for me was, first of all, I wanted to be surrounded by international environment. Mm -hmm. I didn't want, I I wanted to expand my horizon, or I'm not sure if I'm using this term correctly. Yeah, that's right. um, Yeah. And I also wanted to, because MA program was online, which was fantastic program, by the way. But I also missed this atmos- classroom atmosphere or having classmates in person and discussing or taking lectures in person. Did, did you feel that way, too, when you were doing your MA online? Um, not really. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Uh... I think I was older than I think I was older than you though. When I I think I'm older than you, so I I, at that time Hmm. I didn't no I didn't miss it, but I can see how you did. And there were Hmm. times in my life where I would have missed it because you're probably referencing the experiences you had in California. And Mm, so while you're doing the masters and you're applying this to your job, you're thinking, oh, it was nice though to be back in the classroom. I didn't really feel that way. Um, But that's just yeah. Yeah. But I can see why I can see why you wanted that. Did you? So were you looking at some universities in Japan, like APU and Beppu or something? That's that's sort of an international community, right? Yeah, I actually didn't look any any programs specifically in Japan because I wanted to leave Japan. Okay. Yeah. Um, first of all, if I'm pursuing my PhD in English education or English learning. Why would I use Japanese? Right. I, it might sound awkward, but that's how I felt. <laughs> Other things sense. are yeah. are in English, right? And then I was afraid that I I won't go far enough if I put myself within Japanese context. Well, and the other strange thing, mm. I don't know if I'm saying something I shouldn't. I don't know if this is just Hmm. whispered in the halls of academia in Japan, but it seems like it's harder to get a PhD in Japan if you're Japanese. That's what I've heard. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what I've heard, which is an odd kind of thing. Um, Okay, so what what led you to Thailand? Yeah, good question. So I searched several programs, but I I really liked this Kimonkut University program. One, because... The students at this pro- in this program were very much international. There are people from uh, Korea, Thailand, uh, Thailand, of course, China, Cameroon, even, and many other. Plus, my supervisor, Hayo Reinder, he he is a um, 
he, I, I, I knew him through MA program. Okay. So, and he's, he's one of his interests is in out of classroom or classroom based, the bridging the gap between research and classroom practice. Mm. And it's a big gap. We ha- yeah, right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's right. I, I, you a pretty you, big you bridge. Talk, <laughs> right. You you talked about the struggles that you you had by doing your study in in the at your university at that time, and then I I can see how it's it's one thing to to do something and publish it. Um, but it is another to to actually do it in in the actual classroom, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, very it, difficult. Anyway, so yeah, he and I had a similar ideas about this and others. So I thought, okay, Titan, close enough to Japan, warm, good weather, and of course, <laughs> great great program with higher rangers. Why not? That's how I decided. All right. So, but you said before you went to Thailand, there was this big sort of life decision you had to make. Oh, yeah. So me, my, my husband and I kept discussing this over and over, but me wanting to do more in, in this career or field or research related things kind of didn't align with what he would hope for for me to to become as his partner and then uh we decided to hmm. was it an issue that he didn't want to move to thailand or was this decision was this a decision before you decided to go to thailand actually it was a decision it was an issue with us or him not wanting me to work almost at all. Oh, he. Oh, I see. So he didn't mm-hmm. want you to not only pursue or advance your, you know, um, your knowledge, like as you mentioned, he didn't want you to work. Right. Or, uh, yeah, have a career, I would say. I, would, I wish I had that problem. That'd be great. <laughs> 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 really? I mean, I, I'm not saying anything bad about my ex, though. It just no, no. I'm I, just no. I'm I'm just making a joke. I no, but I, I see what you mean. All right. So there is this there is this issue um, going on, and it, it, and it sort of reached ahead. Right. Yeah. And then uh, you, you you said you. So what happened? You got a divorce. That's right. And then I left Thailand almost at the same time. Wow. Okay. So that's yeah. That is huge. It's a huge... Yeah, my family freaked out. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> yeah, but of course they didn't really say anything, you know. They're like, right. okay. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if that's if again, you what, what did you say about the what's the TED Talk term? A primal oh, urge. Primal inclinations. Well, if you had a primal inclination, and that's in that's in clash with you know the relationship at the time. You know, um, yeah, it sounds it sounds like there were some if you had this real urge to develop your career and that was like, right. you know, a bridge too far for your partner, then. Wow. 
So yeah, like you, yeah. Were, you were saying in the pre-show meeting, you know, a lot of a lot of people in the acknowledgement sections always say, "Oh, thank you to my wife and thank you to my husband for bearing with me these past five years." And <laughs> and you were kind of saying, "Well, I kind of had to do it alone." I mean, um, yeah, <laughs> lit- literally, you you got you jumped on a plane and then you're doing a PhD. Had you ever been to Thailand before? Yeah, once, but only once. So were you? How did you feel when you when you got on that plane? Were you? Were you like, did you feel liberated or did you feel really nervous about it? No, liberated. That's exactly how I felt. I felt like I, I'm a bird out of the cage or I'm fish back in the ocean. That type and of then feeling. you could sort of follow your, what is it? Primal urge? Primal. <laughs> What's it called? What's it called? Ask me anytime. Primal inclinations. Primal inclination. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so then you, I guess... So how was it when you when you got to Thailand? I mean, you were probably extremely motivated to jump into your PhD research. That's right. But life is not as straightforward or easy or simple as you plan, right? Mm. So <laughs> although I, I, I felt that way at the beginning, mm. and then I was sure about my decision throughout the course, PhD, doing PhD, alone, being alone or living alone in another country was a lot harder than I had expected. As far as just what, for example, like feeling safe or like, was, the, that, is that, was that a concern being, you know, being a female living alone? Uh, no, not, not really. But um, my biggest struggle was actually with PhD and I would say that was the uncertainty. Did you have you ever felt that when you were doing your research? Any anything? Um, yeah, all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Every day. <laughs> Every day. Yeah. Um, I I didn't know that I was that bad with with uncertainty um i i guess not oh um for example if there are some phd students i'm pretty sure who work with uh supervisors who who kind of lead the study itself i see so that mm-hmm. your publication is guaranteed or you know what you're doing kind of thing if I'm I'm not sure, but I I think that definitely exists. Yeah, some people have supervisors that definitely lead stronger than others. That's for sure. Right. Yeah, and do this, do that, and you know, let's do this, and then boom, you have good publications. And uh, Pornapit Darasan, uh, I call I call her Tin and Hayo. Mm-hmm. They are more like. Um, um, do what you think are are good, and then they they I, I show them my ideas and then they give me feedback. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things are kind of up to me, mm-hmm. and there's no guarantee. Especially this type of uh, practitioner study, and I did this. I implemented this program, right? So. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what's going to happen in the end or if the results 
would be something that I would hope to have. Lots mm. of well, that's probably com- the best study to do. <laughs> right. I wasn't courageous enough just because I needed to have. So you're saying the, the hardest part about living in a foreign country was just the support as far as, you know, being unsure. That's it. That's, that's, that's not that bad. I would think the language or, you know, going to the post office or, you know, safety or, you know, a thousand other things. (laughs) I see. I think it was more like a, a emotional support, I guess. Something happens. So what what did you, who, who did you go to for emotional support? Actually, I didn't go anyone for emotional support, but so, so you're hmm. you must be very strong now. I hope so. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but that being said, I have few very close, awesome friends in Japan. Most mm-hmm. most of them are, and I occasionally talk with them. But it's not like you know you have your life partner. You come home, you talk about your silly daily stuff or, or laugh or things like that. I, you know. Well, yeah. So, and you had just, you had, you had just gotten divorced. So you're dealing with the emotions right. of that too. <laughs> oh yeah. Too. Yeah. And then also the, the life in Thailand, I didn't speak the language. I didn't know how to do certain things or many things actually. But surprisingly well, you can survive by gestures and just guessing and smile and, so on wow all right so let's wow that's incredible um thank you for sharing that all right so let's let's talk about how this paper situates with your phd so your phd dissertation the antidotes to boredom a classroom-based study on strategy instruction to enhance boredom regulation for l2 learning that was the name of the dissertation you have another you have another paper that's been published the antecedents of boredom and l2 classroom learning by system and you said you have another paper coming out about epistemic curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess these are the three papers that were drawn from the PhD. Um, and the paper we're talking about today is a, practi- a practitioner study on the implementation of strategy instruction for boredom regulation. When did you decide you wanted to focus your PhD on boredom or boredom oh. regulation? Wow, that's a great question. You know, I'm not sure if I can say this, but that was the last minute decision. Just, I would say, even a few weeks before I would about to to, to implement this project. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm so I'm so glad you did. <laughs> and yeah. Because you talk you talk about it in the paper that you were you were kind of unsure or uh, wary about how the students would react if it would be awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah. similar to my study on nervousness. You know, let's just get it out in the open. I know you're nervous. You know you're nervous. And the same thing with your study. So I know you're bored. You know you're bored. Let's kind of talk about it. Right, right. Actually, you kind of faced it. You faced it head on. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. So that was a big decision that I made. Thanks to, is it okay to to actually call certain names in this podcast? Is it or is it I... uh, academics? You shouldn't probably you shouldn't mention any students. I don't think. Oh no, uh, academics who who yeah, gave sure. me great advice. Okay, of course, yeah. so. So initially, uh, actually, this is a long story. Initially, I was interested in 
anxiety, like you, and and excitement. And mm-hmm. I, you talk about the symptoms of being anxious, right? So palm sweat, mm-hmm. heart beating fast, and so on, which is very similar to to you being excited. And Absolutely. Then my initial idea was to figure out what kind of activities or how we can turn this kind of anxious or anxious feelings or anxiety to excitement. Mm-hmm. And But um, that idea had a lot of issue with ethics. Why? Mm. How would you come up with a, a task or activities that might end that are designed to enhance anxiety and so on. And then I had to give up on that idea. But mm-hmm. And the next idea, I'm, I'm always interested in not only understanding learners, but also making positive changes. Mm. And so the next idea was this um, strategy instruction program. And initially I had five emotions, and then I was very sure of that. So my... PhD finally uh, kind of be, uh, became clearer to go with those five emotions, which were anxiety, enjoyment, boredom, pride, and curiosity. I chose those five emotions based on the literature and my pilot studies and so on. And then I was about to implement this program with those five emotions. But just before that, I went to a summer school uh, in Malta, where Sarah Mercer and John Mark Riley were uh, two of the leading uh, professors so, in that program. So John, uh, uh, John Mark Duarte. Yeah, yeah. So if people want to um, listen to, he has been on the podcast. Um, Great. I'm just look searching on the podcast page. Uh, there's if you go to um, lostincitations.com or if you go to the Podbean page, um, there's a search button and you can search for yeah. Debale is citation 44, and uh, Sarah Mercer is also going to be on the podcast uh, uh, in the future as well. So, wow, so those are that's... so you got to meet you met them in Malta. Yeah, I met them before. They are two of my heroes, really. Their work has has inspired me a lot. And they themselves, uh, as 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 a person, they they both are really really fantastic and inspirational. And yeah, I respect them a lot. And in this summer school, we had a opportunity to present our PhD study and get some feedback. And mm. I presented this idea. And then both of them gave really, really good, useful advice and feedback, which led me to make a huge or big changes to the initial, to, to the idea of my, my uh, PhD study. Well, you narrowed, you narrowed the scope. It sounds like going from the yeah. five emotions to one. Yeah, that's right. That's smart. Mm. That was mm. that was good. It probably made it much easier. 
yeah so the problem yeah so they they saw a lot of um, difficulties in implementing the the program that i designed and mm. i took the ideas and then i contemplated on those ideas and then i thought hmm yeah it's best to not to have five that's just too many then mm. i kept thinking okay then which emotion should i uh, do i want to pick and then I chose boredom because that time I didn't know any study on boredom in language learning field. And I mm. knew that that would be useful. And then I knew that would be, that were one of the, that was one of the emotions often experienced in the classroom or any, any situations I, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I, I, encourage people to read the paper a practitioner study on the implementation of strategy instruction for boredom regulation i'm not going to go through too many aspects of the paper because I, I think people should read it very very well written by the way um, oh really i was oh, i was thank you. i forget who it might have been someone on the podcast because i had interviewed dat bow and hmm. i had commented how how good his writing is as well. And I think someone mentioned, you know, sometimes second language speakers of English are almost better writers in in academia because the writing is just so clear. Oh. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, I never really thought of that before, but it, it did strike me that the writing was just so clear and precise. Oh, really? Well, because sometimes, thank you. <laughs> sometimes native English speakers, when they write in you know academic writing they just get it just gets it's too confusing it's, oh. it just gets really difficult to read um oh, I see. so i was oh. i was struck by your writing it was very very clear easy to read obviously well thought out oh um, wow thank you so much a couple things from the study which i thought were interesting well first of all you were teaching these 3 hour classes mm -hmm. with large amount of students so how many students per class this class, particular this this class that I did a uh, study, had only twenty five. But the class oh, could good. have been okay. yeah forty, close to forty, or around thirty, something like that. So these were three hour classes. Yeah. Over the course of fifteen weeks, why are they so long? That's how they they run the programs at this university. Mm. When I first went there, I was shocked. What what am I gonna do for three three hours? Yeah, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> but actually, if you take a break in in the middle, then you can think yeah. of that as two 90-minute university classes. Oof, that's rough. So, yeah. it, it, so something you talked about in the paper is that, you know, which I think is sort of a, a common instinct for teachers, is when you see students starting to look bored, you automatically internalize it and start to second-guess your own teaching practices. And you, you talked about that, honestly, in the paper, and and then towards the end in the conclusion, you kind of said, well, there's really no reason to do that. And I'm more aware of that now. So mm -hmm. when you, now you're, you're, you know, you're teaching at a university in Japan. Right. So when you see students checking their phones or now you know about all this stuff, do you still get that pang that, oh, does it, do you still, <laughs> does it still hit you even though you know about the stuff? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I kind of thought that you might ask that question. Um, yes and no, but probably 
Actually, it's it's interesting. I see a lot less boredom in my students at a current university, not because I'm a fantastic teacher or anything. It's just the way that the program runs, I think. And we do mm. a lot a lot of um, small group activities. And there are other things that I I struggle with, but it's not really boredom. Mm, that's good. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you struggle yeah. with it before? Did you really think about that a lot when students were... So according to Table 5, you would categorize using phones to check social media, text, and play games as behavioral avoidance. Mm. So now yes. that you know about that, so at the time when you saw students, you know, before you did your PhD, checking phones... You didn't think of it as behavioral avoidance. You thought of it, oh, I need to make my class more interesting. Yeah, definitely. And then I feel bad about myself. I think hmm. y- you you can definitely understand what I what I mean by this. Because sure. our, our background is a kaiwa. And an a kaiwa teacher or a kaiwa English teaching is all about entertaining students or being an entertainer. Fun. Hmm class active engaging classes are the ones that you need to you want to strive for and it's definitely more about feeling good at the end of the lesson than anything <laughs> i always what... equated the a kaiwa to like a gym membership oh interesting. so a gym a gym membership their business model is very important that people renew their membership mm. the goal of the gym is not necessarily to help people reach their fitness goals of course, mm. I'm sure that that would it would be nice, but to you know, the business is is the gym membership, right? So as long as people renew their membership, so that was my only problem with the Aikaiwa was that sometimes you get a complaint from the student, and then the administration of the Aikaiwa would implement that that complaint, and mm. sometimes it would go against ped, you know pedagogy, right? Mm. And so then you're thinking, wait, what are we doing here? Are we teaching or are we just making people feel good? And I think the answer was, no, we want them to feel good. <laughs> that's it. Right. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's true. So, yeah. Actually, that leads to one of the lessons I learned. Learning English or learning anything sometimes involve boredom or sometimes involve frustration. But that's that's natural in the process because you're learning something new. So you don't have to, or you, you cannot expect to be entertained or feeling happy or joyful and enjoyment all the time. And it is okay. That's one of the lessons I learned, which was different from a Kaiwa industry, I would say. Yeah. Um, okay. So table five, you talked about the boredom coping type, cognitive approach, behavioral approach, cognitive avoidance, behavioral avoidance, passive response, do it anyway. I thought that was really interesting. I never really thought about it on those terms. And then looking yeah. at your your graph, figure three, so it looks like the approach-oriented strategies increased and the avoidance-oriented strategies decreased. So that was, mm. that was a good result. Yeah, yeah, luckily. So it it's, it's interesting when I read, when I read this study, it, it looks like a very clean, um, 
but but the, getting the context, it sounds like you were really worried about how this would turn out, and if he, if even you'd be able to use it. So, but in the end, it it all worked out great. So good for you. <laughs> Thank you. But really, the program itself wasn't as clean as it might look on this paper at all. We just talked about life never goes the way it, we plan, right? This program mm -hmm. was like that too. Mm. How many years was the program? Yeah. Uh, th this boredom regulation program, you mean? Or how many years was the? Were you in Thailand for the PhD? For about three, uh, two years and a half. And the how long was the boredom regulation program? One semester. I see. Yeah, I no, I get it. Did you have Did you have research assistants to help you? No, I didn't. So that's, I that's, a, that's, yeah, go ahead. Uh, although I had an um, interpreter during my focus group interviews, but I didn't have research assistant or anything. Well, that's just an incredible amount of work. Yeah, prepping classes together with this and, and especially the, the, the boredom, you know, the sensitive topic that I was dealing with my students. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's quite a quite an accomplishment. All right, so then um, I think we'll move on from the paper because I'd, I'd like people to read it. Um, a practitioner study on the implementation of strategy instruction for boredom regulation. So, when did you come back to Japan? In the summer of twenty twenty one. Now yeah. your position is an assistant. Assistant professor at Tamagawa University. When did you get that position? I got that position in September last year. Is where is that? Where is that university? In Tokyo. In Tokyo, okay. And how's it going? Mm. Great, great. This wow. is my first time to to live in Kanto area, and my whole my new life. Or my new page, <laughs> new page of the book has started. That's how I feel. Wow, wow! What a what a story. <laughs> Actually, but then uh, there was a uh, probably an interesting story in between. So I came back to Japan because of COVID, basically. Okay. Uh -huh. And but luckily, I finished everything, data collection and so on. So I didn't necessarily need to be in Thailand. Then I worked on writing the thesis and working on publication from Japan. Mm -hmm. And um, while looking for a job, which was extremely difficult, I would say, <laughs> I kept fading mm -hmm. interviews and so on. <laughs> yeah. And then I was back in the village staying with my sister and, mm -hmm. um, and then I needed a job too. And there was this local school, high, uh, junior high school, which I actually went to. And then they were looking mm. for a, kind of a temporary worker to help them clean their school because of mm. COVID, sanitize and so on. And I mm -hmm. thought, oh, okay, that's a nice kind of uh, contribution to the community. Then I had this part-time job, which ended up scrubbing toilets so wow i kept i kept scrubbing toilets in 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 winter very cold wanting to get a 
position at somewhere in Japan, which was really hard. But finally, I got um, part-time positions at three different universities in Kanto area. That's when, that's how I moved to to this um, area in April last year. And mm-hmm. then, and I'm really grateful. Tamaga University offered me a full-time position. Then I became an assistant professor. Wow. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah, life, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think some of these jobs that you have in between, I think a lot of people try to make their career, they, they gloss over some of these jobs you have in between. Some of those jobs you have in between actually give really good life lessons. Oh, and sometimes yeah, you meet some sure. very influential people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people shouldn't gloss over those stories because... Yeah, I, I've had similar experiences like that. You know, you're in you, like you said, not everything works out so cleanly on a resume. Sometimes there's exactly. there's a gaps of four or five months, and you have to find a job, right? Mm-hmm. And wow, that's that's great. And I, I should mention that uh, the reason I uh, learned about your work is because I met you at um, in IAPL International Association for the Psychology of Language Learning. I don't know what they call it. like it's not a webinar. It's like a what 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 um, what was that a roundtable discussion? It, yeah, that's what they call. Um, mm-hmm. So I met you there, and mm. so thank we, you so much for we, coming def- to my roundtable. Yeah, uh, because your roundtable was on emotional regulation. That's right. Um, so something that I'm I'm very interested in, but I'm kind of mm. looking at it through a different angle. Um, but we're we're kind of the fans of some of the same people. So uh, a lot of a lot of people in that organization have been on the podcast. Peter McIntyre, yeah, uh, Devade, um, Sarah, uh, Sarah Mercer. She's going to be coming on the podcast pretty soon. Uh, Stephen Ryan, yeah. Um, so lots, yeah. I, I'm I'm a big fan of that organization. Um, oh, great. I bought Me my plane too. tickets to to the PLL conference. I don't know if it's going to happen. Are you planning on going to that conference? Oh in yeah, Nova Scotia. Yeah, yeah. Actually, PLL two was my first international conference presentation debut conference. Wow, where, where was that? In Finland. Finland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Ali Al Hori's been on the podcast. Um, yeah, I know. Phil Hiver's been on the podcast. Yeah. So you're planning on going to the conference in Nova Scotia? Yes, definitely. Oh wow. Oh mm. wow, me too. Well, that's good. That's Great. good to know because cool, I cool. I've asked the, I I asked a couple people like Stephen Ryan and, and Kate Mayer, and mm. th- they said they weren't planning on going just because they were afraid of the travel restrictions. So fingers crossed. Yeah, for sure. As long as P- uh, PLL three, four, five, six is held, I will go anywhere. That's how much I love the conference. Wow. Well, for the I, organization I can't wait to. The people. Yeah, I can't wait to meet some of those people face to face. Me neither. Oh, okay. Well, um, again, the name of the article we discussed today: a practitioner study on the implementation of strategy instruction for boredom regulation. Doctor Sachiko Nakamura, thank you so much for coming on Lost in Citations. Thank you so much for the wonderful experience. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website 
lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.